0: Outstanding song service tonight. Wonderful songs that draw our minds toward the goodness and the majesty and might of our God. And God is good. And we're gathered here tonight because of God and because of what He's done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And as I've said throughout the week, I hope that we don't take that for granted, but we will truly count it a blessing to be gathered tonight together. And be able to take part in this service. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we want to say thank you for coming. We hope that you have been made to feel welcome. And we hope you're blessed tonight. Uh, Blessed by the lesson as well as the singing and worship and everything that we've gone through up to this point. Tonight I want to ask a question. Do you know God? That might seem like somewhat of a simple question. Uh, but you know, when we ask the question, do you know God, we might not mean what is thought. Now, what if I told you tonight that I knew Chuck Norris? Some of you are going, who's Chuck Norris? <laughs> some of you would be like, do you really know Chuck Norris? I know some things about Chuck Norris. <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I watched Lone Wolf McQuaid probably a hundred times. I, I, I mean, I, I know what he looks like, I know... So of his martial arts background. I know a lot about Chuck Norris, but the truth is if I walked up and saw Chuck Norris and said, hey, Chuck, how are you doing? He'd be like, do I know you? Because <laughs> I know about Chuck Norris. I know who he is, but he doesn't know me. I don't know Chuck Norris. I don't know him. And we ask a question, do you know God? We're not saying, do you know who God is? Do you know about God or believe in God? It's do you know God and does he know you? And that is the most important question you'll ever answer in your life, is do you know God? We're going to spend a lot of time in 1 John tonight. We'll be going other places, but primarily uh, we're going to take the focus of our study from some things that John writes in his first epistle, starting in 1 John chapter 2. I've got 1 through 6 on the screen. We'll come back and pick up 1 and 2 in a moment. I want to start in verse 3. John writing says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Now listen, by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he Walked. Notice the phrases that he uses in this to describe the idea of knowing God. We know him. I know him. We are in him. We abide in him. He's describing a deep, intimate connection or a relationship with God. So when we ask the question, Do you know God? what we're asking is, Do you have a relationship with God, with the Father? Some have rejected the idea of having a relationship with God. And maybe the term fellowship is preferred. That's the word that John uses earlier if we say we have fellowship with Him. And I want you to know I don't reject the idea of a relationship with God. I believe the Scriptures points out that we do have a relationship with God. And so I think it's necessary we define some terms. What do we mean by relationship? So the, the English word relationship is, is defined this way. The way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. Or the state of being connected. The state of being connected, here's an example, by blood or by marriage. Or the way in which two or more people or groups regard or behave toward each other. Now, we understand this about relationships. It's all about connection, isn't it? But you know, relationships are reciprocal. That is, you kind of, there's a lot of give and take, right? We understand that in marriage. We understand that in, in even familial relationships we might have with our, with our siblings. We love them, but oftentimes we don't really have a relationship, do we? And why don't we have a relationship? Because sometimes what's being reciprocated is not very good. Because the way we might behave or act toward each other, regard each other, is unacceptable inside of the framework or the parameters of that relationship. Did you know that God has parameters for having a relationship with us? And it's an intimate and a personal relationship. Now, I know that's another thing that some people have shied away from, that we have a personal relationship with God. But listen to the words of Paul in Romans 8, 15, where he says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, or whom why, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What does that mean, Abba, Father? What's he describing? A relationship, a special relationship. Not that just God is our Father. He is Abba, Father. And that word Abba is a term of endearment for Father. We would use the word daddy. I'm 42 years old. And I don't know if some of y'all have been around me and my dad this week, but you might think it's strange, but I still call him daddy. You say, that's weird. It's not to me. It's not. You know why? Because he's my daddy. He's always been my daddy. He'll always be my daddy. And I only got one. I'm not going to call anybody else daddy. That'd be strange. (laughs) But I don't think it's strange that I call my my earthly father Daddy. That's how I know him. You know why? We We have a deep personal connection, a relationship. It's familial in nature. And every Christian has that with God. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that... All that we have is a personal relationship with God. Because the way that's been contaminated and abused is to say, well, my relationship with God is personal, so it doesn't, it's not affected by anyone else or whether or not I interact with anyone else. It's just between me and God, and we have a thing, and it's our thing. Let's look at that tonight. And firstly, I want to say this. You don't know God if you don't know Jesus. You don't know God if you don't know Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You can't know God through Muhammad. You can't know God through Joseph Smith. You can't know God through any other means except by Jesus Christ. Exclusively through Jesus. How do we know we know Jesus? Let's go back to 1 John 2. Proceeding the verses that we started with, in 1 and 2, John writes, My little children, these things I write to you, listen, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What does that mean? It means that Jesus advocates for us on our behalf. He reconciles us to God. That's what propitiation means. He restores the relationship that we've broken by sin. And without Jesus Christ, we can't approach God. We can't come near to God. We will never know God unless we know Jesus. Because he appeases God's wrath due to our sin and restores a right relationship with the Father. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, that's Jesus, for the unjust, that's me and you. Why? Why? That he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. That's how our relationship is formed. Being put to death in the flesh, but alive, made alive by the Spirit. And that all occurs. We've been talking about this all week. And I hope this isn't monotonous. I hope that we appreciate that God's Word is simple and it tells us how we're connected with Jesus. As the Bible says in Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God. Remember, that's our relationship. Being a son, being a child. He is Abba Father. You're all sons of God. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When we're united with Jesus, we put Him on. We put him on in the waters of baptism, and through faith, we submit ourselves in obedience to God. We go down into the water, and we come out having put on Jesus Christ, and now we know God. Notice 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7. Now, this is why I said earlier, the question, do you know God, is the most important question you'll ever ask, and here's why I say that. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. Paul says, to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God or do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction for the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Notice what he says. He says, to you who are troubled, rest with us when Jesus returns. And he takes vengeance on who? Those who do not know God. I'd say it's important that we know God, wouldn't you? We need to know God. And notice he couples that with this, on those who do not obey the gospel. Who is it that will be condemned when Jesus returns? Those who have not obeyed the gospel and those who do not know god notice he says these will be punished with everlasting destruction do you know god have you been united with jesus because if you haven't been united with jesus you may know about god you may know everything about god but you don't know god and he doesn't know you and that's not my opinion that is what the scripture teaches and we're going to look at several verses tonight that help us understand how that all occurs Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says this, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized, notice, into Jesus Christ? You see the connection? We're baptized into Christ Jesus. And he says, We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism or uh, through uh, baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's a deep connection with Jesus in the waters of bapti- baptism. In verse 5, he uses the phrase, for if we've been united together. A connection with Jesus, a relationship with the Savior, a relationship with Jesus that is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Not long ago, Jerry B. Jenkins, the writer of the Left Behind series, said this, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with God through Christ. You know, we've been talking about relationship, and I think a lot of people read this phrase, and they go, yes, that's right. It's not about religion, it's all about relationship. Have you heard that? You ever heard that? It's not about religion, it's all about relationship. And this has become a very heated debate. Religion versus relationship. And the whole mindset is essentially that it's not about ritual observance, it's not about following a letter or, or following a set of guidelines. It's just about relationship. And I go, "No God, and, and he, he knows me, and I love Jesus and Jesus loves me, and we have a relationship, and that's all that matters. But you know, it's been a little taken a little too far. Jesus wants a relationship. Satan wants religion. You believe that? Let's, let's define another term. Let's define the term religion for a moment. The state of a religious. Well, that's helpful. Luckily, he explains that. The state of a religious. The service and worship of God or the supernatural. Commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. Now, do you think Satan wants that? Do you think that Satan wants us to serve and worship God, to be committed to him and devoted to him? Absolutely not. He does not want that. But that's not what people are rejecting. You know what people are rejecting? This one right here. A personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, or practices. That is being part of the parameters that God has set and practicing them accordingly. They say, that's not important. It doesn't matter. And they say, you know, Jesus doesn't want religion. You know, Jesus only condemned religion when it was hypocritical, when it was fake. Notice Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. Jesus said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, Now listen, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Now Jesus is condemning these people's religion. And why is he condemning their religion? Because it's fake, it's meaningless, it's vain, it's empty. Their heart's not in it. It's not sincere. Their intention is not right. And they're listening to other people. They're not listening to the Word of God. They're not honoring God by following his commands. They're teaching instead the commandments of men. That's a fake religion. That's a useless religion. But God is not against religion. In fact, in James 1, 27, we see this. Pure and undefiled religion. So we know it exists, right? There is a religion that is pure and undefiled. And what does he say? To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted for the world. Oh, great. Now we know. Now we know the parameters, right? That's not his point. That's not his point. He's not saying this is it. This is all. He's making a point. True religion is about what? Relationship. To know Jesus, to love Jesus, does not just mean that when I hear the word Jesus, I have fond feelings. People say that. I I love Jesus. What do you mean by that? I love Jesus. Because we don't get to decide what love is. We don't get to decide what that means. Jesus defined that for us. Notice John chapter 10, 17. Jesus said, my sheep, you see that? My sheep relationship. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Let's deconstruct this verse. Those who don't hear my voice and don't follow me are not my sheep and I do not know them. Do you see that? My sheep hear my voice and I know them And they follow me. Jesus would say this in Luke chapter 6 and 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Do we know what the word Lord means? I think people do want a relationship with Jesus. They want a relationship on their terms. They want to know Jesus as their personal Savior. They want something from him. They want the benefits. They want eternal life. They want that freedom that Jesus promised. They want salvation from sin. They want to know him as Savior. They want a Savior. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a Lord. They don't want a Lord. And Jesus makes it very apparent what the word Lord means. What does that mean? It means we do what he says. We don't like that, do we? We don't like to be under someone's control. But you know what the word Lord means? He has control. And he says, why would you call me Lord and not do what I say? That doesn't make sense. That you call someone your Lord and then not do what they say. Let's go back to 1 John 2. I've highlighted in green some of the qualifying factors of this relationship. So again, we know him. By this, we know that we know him. How? How? If we keep his commandments, he who says, I love him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's strong language. Again, John being the disciple of love says, you're a liar. That's strong language. You say, you know, Jesus, you know, God, and you don't do what he says. You're a liar. He says, you don't know him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who, who, who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Walk, how he walked? Jesus walked. And you know, it's often been said, well, you know, 1 John 4 says that perfect love cast out fear. And God's love is perfect, and therefore because God's love is perfect, we don't have to fear. You've got to look at the context on that. Because he's defined what that means right here. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. God's love has always been perfect, it will always be perfect. That doesn't mean everybody's saved because God's love is perfect. But notice, when we follow Jesus, and we follow His will, and we listen to His voice, and we keep His commandments, God's love is perfected, not just perfect, but perfected in us. In us. How do we know that we know God? Because we follow Jesus Christ. Are you following Jesus Christ tonight? Because Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Do what I say. And we go, well, that doesn't sound like love at all. That sounds like servitude. That sounds like slavery, really. An eternal home in heaven sounds like slavery. Spiritual blessings that give us peace and joy and contentment. We gain all the benefits from following Jesus. And those benefits, those blessings are dependent upon our relationship, our connection with God. Someone said, that sounds a lot like work salvation to me. No, it's not. It's about following Jesus and surrendering our life to him. Why? Because he saved us. Because he saved us. And we have a connection with him. And we know we know him because we follow him. Because we have said, Jesus, you are my Lord and I will do what you say. Matthew 28, revisiting this passage we looked at last night, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to know that if you obey the Lord in baptism, that's not God's only plan for your life. God's plan for your life is that you follow him and obey him so you can be a light to those around you. If it was just God's design that he would save us and forgive us of sins and we go to heaven, he'd take us right then and there. But you have a life to live, a light to shine, an influence that the world desperately needs. And so what's he say? You teach them also to observe all things that I've commanded you. Teach them to do that. John chapter 14 and verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see that connection there? Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. If you love Jesus and you follow him, God will love you. And he says, we'll come close. We'll make our home, our abode with him. But he says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You say, okay, and we're getting repetitive. I just want you to notice that this is over and over and over throughout the New Testament, this connection of relationship and obedience, following Jesus in obedience. And Jesus continued this speech in the next verse by saying this to the apostles. These things have I spoken to you. While being present with you, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. How do we know what Jesus commands? Because Jesus inspired the apostles to deliver those commandments to us through God's holy word. And that's how we know we know God. Because we follow those writings, we follow those things that God has breathed out through his Holy Spirit and that were recorded and delivered to us by his chosen ambassadors. Number two, to know God and to love him, to know Jesus and love him, John says we cannot love the world. We cannot love the world. First John chapter 2, in this time, verse 15, John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does with the will of God abides forever. You know, this is confusing because John says, don't love the world. But yet in John three sixteen, Jesus said, God so loved the world. And we go, well, that doesn't make sense. God can love the world, but I can't love the world. Well, understand something. God loves the people. God loves the people of the world. And he's not saying don't love people. He's saying don't love the world and its materialism and its humanism And it's ungodliness and it's carnality. Don't love that. Don't love the sinful things. Don't love the lustful things that are of the flesh. Don't love the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Those things are the world and those things are passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Don't love the world. What does that mean? How do we know if we love the world? James said it this way in James chapter 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now let's not turn this inside out and say that means that I can't make uh, connections with people who are not in the church. I can't develop a relationship with someone outside of the church. I can't develop a friendship with them. Well, well that's silly. How could you be a light to someone without connecting with them in some way, form, or fashion? That's not his point. When he says don't be friends with the world, he means you've got to make a choice. Let me illustrate it this way. If I stand up here tonight and I say you cannot live with someone that you're not married to and have sex with them, that is a sin. Let me tell you, the world will not be your friend. If I say homosexuality is a sin, you know what the world will say? You're hateful. And they won't want to be your friend. If I say pride is not a virtue, it is detestable in the eyes of God. The world will say, no, we don't want anything to do with you. He's saying make a choice. You can't try to please God and try to, be, uh, to please the world. You've got to decide where your loyalty is. Who you're going to be faithful to. And there were a lot of people during Je- Jesus' ministry that had a, a tremendous amount of trouble with this very thing. Notice John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Many of the rulers of the Jews believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. What does this mean? It means that they were unwilling to sacrifice their social circles to align themselves with Jesus and with God. You know where we have the most trouble with this usually? For children, it's at school. And for adults, it's at work. Because I'll tell you, if you act different than the world, you're going to stand out. And it's not about that. It's not about trying to exalt yourself or draw attention to yourself. You will just naturally stand out if you live for Jesus. And all of you young people here today, I recognize the pressure you go through. I recognize that. That there are people who are trying to press you to do things that God says not to do. And you don't want to be the outcast and you don't want to be pushed away. But you've got to make a choice. Because you either stand with God or you stand against Him. You stand against Him. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't know God and be a friend of the world. You've got to make a choice. Number three, to know Jesus and to love him means we must love our brother. Now see, this is where that personal relationship doctrine comes into play. Because some people believe that their relationship with God is only between them and God, and it doesn't matter any way else. And that illustrates the misuse of this term, personal relationship. But see, God shows us that in order to maintain our relationship with him, we must also have a relationship with God's family. And I want to show you that from Scripture 1st John chapter 2 once again he who loves his brother abides in the light now remember the light is where we have fellowship with God and there is no cause of stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know him. Does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now earlier we read whoever abides in him ought to walk as he walked. I'll tell you where Jesus doesn't walk. Jesus doesn't walk in the darkness. He doesn't walk in the darkness. He doesn't walk with the world. He doesn't walk on the broad path. And he says if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. You're on that path. Do you hate your brother? You say, of course I don't hate my brother. Do you hate your brother? How do you know? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for, the, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If we don't love one another, John says, then we don't know God and we don't love God. First John chapter 3:17 says this, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth. Now I think he's talking about material things here. I believe that's what he's really referring to, material things, this world's good. But you know, there's a lot of ways, and we're not going to take time to go into 1 Corinthians 13 and and define love necessarily, but there's a lot of ways that we could not love our brother or hate our brother. He says, if you've got it, and they need it, and you don't give it because you have no compassion, the love of God doesn't dwell in you. That's a rhetorical question. How does the love of God abide in him? The uh, The question has its own answer. It doesn't. It doesn't abide in him. And he said, don't just love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And, and I'll tell you, at home, our congregation tells each other, I love you. I know some people are uncomfortable with that, saying those words, I love you. We all say it to each other. I've taught my kids to say it. My, my son says it to his 18-year-old friends that are boys. And people are like, did he just tell that person that he loved them? I'm like, yeah. Nothing weird about it. But you know what? If it's just words, It's meaningless. It's meaningless. If you tell people you love them, and then you withhold mercy and forgiveness from them, you don't love them. You're loving yourself. You're choosing you. That's something that we need, forgiveness and mercy. And often we hate our brother in our heart. We hate him in our heart. Don't just love in word, but in deed and in truth, true love. How about spending time with each other? Do we make time to do that? Well, you know, we spend time together at church. I'd rather just go home. I don't want to spend time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to do that because you need to know them. And how are we going to love each other if we don't know each other? Oh, I may love you in concept. I may say I love you, but I don't really love you. Why? Because don't, I don't have a chance to love you. Because love is not just about how I feel, it's about how I behave towards you, how I act towards you, it's how I speak to you. It's whether or not I forgive you and I forbear you in love and I treat you with kindness and dignity and humility. That's how we love one another. 1 John 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Man, John just, he just hits you right in the face, doesn't he? If you say you love God and you hate your brother, he says, you are a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You know what the reality is? We're going to live together. We're going to get on each other's nerves, aren't we? I promise you, I've probably annoyed Diana 12 times, this, at least 12. She's shaking her head no I mean, we're going we're to get on each other's nerves if we spend enough time with each other. Sometimes we're hard to love. And we'll use that as an excuse. Well, I try to love them, but they're difficult. Well, guess what? So are we. And yet God loves us. And me loving you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. Because we don't do what we do because of how someone treats us. We do what we do because we know Jesus. Because we're God's children. We love despite people being unlovable. It's not an excuse. We love because God is love and we're his children. And I hope you love your brother. And I'll tell you, you can't have a personal relationship with Jesus and not have a relationship with your brothers and sisters. And that's why we need to be here. We need to be together. We need to come together and encourage each other and edify one another and show each other love and be there. Show up when your brother needs you, when your sister needs you. Because if we don't love one another, we don't love God and we don't know God. And finally, to know Him and to love Him means we must stop sinning. Someone says, Oh man, no, I, I don't mean live perfectly. Don't mean live perfectly. I don't mean never sin. John doesn't mean that. First John chapter three verse six: No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning, or no one who keeps on sinning, has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous is right, uh, righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What does he say? If we continue to live in sin, if we don't let Jesus be our Lord, if we don't submit our life to Him, we don't know Him. We don't know Him. Now, how do we know that John isn't saying you must live perfectly? Because some have concluded that from this passage. Oh, that means that once you're born again, you never sin ever again. Really? Because if we back up to the very first of this letter, here's what John says. If we, that's people who are saved, say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, he would be contradicting himself if he said, look, we sin. And if we say we haven't sinned, we're liars. And then later say... If you keep on sin, or if you sin, or you ever commit a sin, you don't know God. That makes no sense. That's not what he's saying. Yes, we sin. And we've talked about that this week. What do we do with that sin? We confess that sin. We ask for forgiveness. We pray to God, and he cleanses us from all righteousness. We will commit sin, but I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't let sin control us. He says, therefore, Romans 6 12, therefore do not let sin. Reign. What does that mean, reign? It means don't let sin be your Lord. Don't let your body be your Lord. Don't let your impulses and your temptations tell you how to live and control and dictate what you do and how you do it and what you say and how you say it. Don't let it control you. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. But you cannot give your flesh control because when you do that, you decide Jesus is no longer Lord, and you don't know God. You walk away from God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who, who practices righteousness is born of him. You know why we've talked about this tonight? Not so we could say, well, man, I'm not sure if I know God. Well, I hope you're thinking about that. But here's why we're looking at this and why John wrote the letter. John wrote this so we could know whether or not we know God. And that's important. And he says if we know that we can know God, we can have confidence and not be ashamed when he comes. There's going to be a lot of people who don't know God when Jesus returns. And we can know that we know him. Notice 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 as he starts to wind up this letter that he's written. He says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who says, who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know. You know, sometimes we say, well, you you really don't know whether you're saved. Really? I hope we're not living life that way. Because God didn't make his word so complicated that we couldn't know that we're in him and that we know him and that we have eternal life. He says, you can know that you're saved. You can know you have eternal life. And he told us in this letter exactly how to know that. How to know it. We can know that. Do you know that? Do you know God? Have you been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? Have you in faith submitted yourself to him in the waters of baptism? Being buried with him into his death, united with Jesus in that burial, and also risen with him to walk in the of life, born again? Have you done that? Because if you don't, you don't know God. You're not his child. And I'm not saying that. The Bible teaches that it's our authority. It's where truth resides. If you've been born again, are you following Jesus? Are you living in rebellion to him? Are you following his will? Do you follow his commandments? Do you love your brothers and sisters? Are you living in sin? I want to leave you with one last thing tonight. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now who is Jesus describing here? Is he describing atheists, agnostics? No. He's describing people who believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ and even identify him as Lord to the point of preaching and doing wonders in his name. Do you think these people thought they knew God? They're surprised. They're surprised that they don't know God. And Jesus says this, you can't just call me Lord. Not everybody who calls me Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven but only those that do the will of my Father in heaven. And then I want to read verse 23. Jesus says to those people, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What did Jesus say? You may know who I am, but I never knew you. Here's another important question. Does Jesus know you? Does he know you? You've got opportunity right now to know Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you have not been united with Jesus, we want to help you do that. We've got water prepared back here. A change of clothes. We've got towels. Some will go back with you after we take your confession. We will ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And if you say yes... Upon that confession of faith, you'll go back into a room and change, and we'll go down into the water, and you'll come out being a child of God, knowing Him as Abba, Father, knowing you have eternal life. Would you like that tonight? If you've been rejecting Jesus as your Lord, come back to Him. Rededicate your life to Him, surrender to Him, and submit to Him. We will go to Him in prayer. And just as we talked about, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness, restoring that relationship that we've damaged. See, friends, you can't have religion without relationship. And you can't have relationship without religion. It doesn't work that way. They're interdependent. They're interdependent. They come together We must know that we're doing things right. We must humble ourselves. Friends, if you need the Lord tonight, if you need to know God, come forward, have a seat. Let us help you as we stand and we sing the song that's been selected.